Welcome to The Notice, where together we notice the mercy of God. I'm Susan Hookstra, your host. The Notice podcast explores our need for validation and affirmation through biblical musings and conversations with special guests. Experience relevant topics and encouragement as we take notice of how the God of mercy satisfies. On this episode of The Notice, Have you taken the time to write someone an email and gotten no response? Or posted an encouraging comment on social media that no one acknowledged? Stay tuned. When we talk about what it feels like when we're ignored, we hear stories, discuss conclusions, and discover new ways to offer mercy. You won't want to miss this episode where we learn how to notice God when we feel ignored. Recently, I sent an email inviting someone to be on this podcast. An accomplished speaker, author, and emerging leader in the Christian speaking circuit, she is awesome, and she is someone I've known for years. We are part of the same church and serve together in women's leadership events. I've attended a few of her seminars and received encouragement in the writing of my book. As she went into full-time speaking ministry, I continued to encourage her and still do. So when she said yes to being on the podcast, I was excited, not only because I knew she would be a great guest, but mostly because I enjoy spending time with her. She's pretty cool. I am for her. And then it began. Trying to schedule an in-person taping time for our busy schedules became complicated. When we finally set up a time, it had to get rescheduled. I remained flexible and willing to adjust maybe even more than I needed to. I kept sending encouraging emails, prayers, and supportive comments. And then all of a sudden, my emails went unanswered. Unacknowledged. Dare I say, ignored. I really didn't want to admit it, but internally, I struggled. Couldn't she see that I was for her? Couldn't she see I was being patient? Let's face it. When we feel ignored, we don't feel validated. We don't feel as though someone is acknowledging our experience. And we certainly don't feel affirmed. So in a sincere quest not to take offense, I went ahead and reread the emails I sent. Was there something in there that was unsupportive? Was I trying too hard? Nope. But realizing that didn't stop me from relating to this anonymous quote. It's hard when someone special ignores you, but it's harder pretending you just don't care. So if you're anything like me, I cared. And then I started imagining all kinds of possibilities in my head. I call them the scenario sagas. Friends out there, please tell me you know what I mean. It goes something like this. Scenario saga number one. She's busy. Yes, of course, she's busy speaking, writing, podcasting, posting on social media every day, and launching books. Or perhaps the coronavirus is taking up her headspace. 
Maybe I just slipped her mind. Susan, just be kind to a sister. Give her the benefit of the doubt. Doesn't our culture enforce that being busy means we're important? But as time went on, it actually got harder for me in my mind. If I stayed anchored on this scenario, I would have to conclude that she was too busy. That meant she was too busy for me. I didn't like that scenario. So I had to move on and create scenario saga number two. She's just not interested. Doesn't know how to tell me. Well, friends, this is where it goes next. Why? Hmm. Maybe I'm not in the networking circle she needs me to be in, or I don't have a humongous enough platform. You know what I'm talking about. Comparison. But as we discussed in a previous podcast episode I did with Shannon Popkin, author of Comparison Girl, comparison, well, folks, it gets us nowhere. We are either better than or less than, and comparison never satisfies. So now I had to come up with scenario saga number three. It's me. Let's be honest. When we feel ignored, we interpret the actions of others as a direct attack on us. Certainly, something's wrong with me. Otherwise, she wouldn't ignore me. But as we all know, this scenario, well, this is like a black hole. Taking things personally sends us into some pretty dark places. How do you respond when you feel ignored? Do you do the scenario sagas? Join a pity party? Take it personally? God wanted me to remove these scenario sagas in my life. And so he did that by asking me some even deeper questions like, Susan, do you really know what someone else's intentions are? Susan, are you trying to feel better about yourself by throwing the blame onto someone else? Susan, are you truly qualified to assess the situation? Do you think you might be guessing or making assumptions? Maybe even judging? So friends, if we don't stop after scenario three, our response starts to spiral. Not only do we get in this black hole, but we start to connect this time we felt ignored with all the other times we felt ignored. So for me, I went down this rabbit trail. It was the time I received an email from a church leader who informed me of a controversial decision the elders made. The email invited us to email back with any questions or concern. So I did. I had a question. That was over two and a half years ago, and I've never received a response. And then there was a time I met with a worship pastor about being on a worship team. As a professional clarinetist and songwriter, I knew those skills would not be used regularly. But still, I love supporting worship artists. And so I asked, what's your biggest need? Well, as he explained that he needed bass players, my ears perked up. You see, this was a dream come true. I have wanted to secretly play the bass for years. So I offered to buy a bass and an amp and teach myself and get in touch when I was ready. He agreed. Or at least I thought he did. So about three months later, I was ready, and I emailed him. After two weeks, I got no response. 
So I sent another email. No response. Waited another two weeks. No response. So I thought, oh, I'll contact him in some other ways. And still, no response. This went on for about six months. So at that point, I was done trying. Of course, I started this scenario saga in my head. He was busy. But then it turned to resentment. After all, I was busy too. And then I had to admit that I probably wasn't cool enough to play bass. You know, taking it personally, being offended. So after a few minutes, I stopped going down the scenario saga land. I felt God was asking me if he noticed what I did. As I pondered that question, he revealed a few things to me. One, God sees all. And he sees every offense. But he also sees what I did. 1 Peter 2.20 reminds us, If when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So I began to see that offenses are opportunities for the God of the universe to look down on us and say, this is a gracious thing in my sight. You see, God does notice the offense, but he also noticed the time I took. And he was the one who gave me the resources to purchase the base in the first place. Two, God allows every offense. God does not purposely bring offense our way. Frankly, sometimes that's just the choice of someone else. However, he does use the offense to help us grow. He doesn't see, merely see the offenses. He kind of directs the whole play. Listen to 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Kind of a bigger purpose, huh? Three, God will judge every offense. We can overlook offenses not only because God sees us and what we've done, and he sees the offense, not only because he allows them, but also because God's going to judge that those offenses. Romans 12, 19 reminds us that vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Typically, I know this verse is used for those big offenses like blackmail, adultery, or murder. But couldn't God's judgment change how we respond in small offenses as well? Since the word of God is the critic of the intents of our hearts, if God will right even the biggest wrongs, won't he take care of the smallest ones too? I love Hebrews 4.12. It says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So, do I truly know the thoughts and attitudes of someone else's hearts? Is it my place to judge or God's? So let's get back to the base story. After this internal tirade and processing these three things God revealed to me, I recognized that I needed God's wisdom and how to respond. So I chose what my friends from the Frozen movie did and I just let it go. 
And this reminded me of how I got there. In Peter Scascaro's book, Emotionally Healthy Relationships, he describes what he calls the ladder of integrity. This is a processing tool used to help us process an offense. Essentially, completing this list of statements in the ladder helps us identify what's really bothering us. So as we dig deeper, we first get to the heart of what we're experiencing. Then we decide whether to approach somebody about the offense or let it go. Wow, what a relief and what a great tool. We really do have control over how we respond. So as I went through the ladder, I started to focus on the fact that God may need me somewhere else rather than playing bass. He may decide that he wants other guests on my podcasts. And so I decided to keep my eyes and ear opening to hearing from him. So ironically, months later, about a year after that an initial meeting with the worship pastor, while attending another event of the church, I came face to face with him unexpectedly. At first, he addressed me by a different name. Ouch. But I didn't correct him. I listened to him express his immediate regret over not responding to my numerous emails. He talked about how busy he was and how he really meant to get back to me. He talked about how others had come forward so there wasn't a need for base anymore. And I'm going to tell you folks, this was awkward because he then began to compliment me, which only made me feel even more awkward. I didn't even say a word, but I had a front row seat into his feelings of guilt, regret, and defensiveness. I'll be honest with you, I really felt for him and I didn't really know what to say. I think I said something like, no worries, I learned a lot, and the time I had with the bass became a great time of worshiping God. <laughs> what was that? Certainly, it was true. But at the heart of it, I think what I was trying to do was offer him mercy. After all, it seemed like my very presence reminded him of a task he hadn't completed. That's not fun. Now, somebody came by who needed it for something, so he left, and about 20 minutes later, he came back to find me. This time, he apologized again for addressing me by the wrong name. My reply, it's a big church, no worries. Awkward, take two. Mercy, take two. Friends, I hope you don't have to experience that kind of awkwardness. Um, but it does seem like this awkwardness could have all been avoided. How? If you would have emailed me back in the first place. I'll be honest with you. I'm not sure why it's so challenging for people to respond to email. I know in professional circles, I've been instructed to respond to emails within 24 hours, except on weekends, even if we don't have an answer yet. That seems to be a reasonable turnaround in the workplace. But what standards are there for personal emails or ministry emails? Is a no response considered the response? Friends, admit it. When we are ignored, we don't feel noticed. In this particular story, there were resources of time and money that were linked to an email. Honestly, does anyone win when we ignore each other? Sometimes, we may think we responded, 
when we may have read the email or drafted a response but didn't actually send. It reminds me of George Bernard Shaw when he said, the single problem in communication is the illusion that has taken place. Guilty. So just last week, I was on vacation. Before I left, I put an out-of-office reply for my emails, or at least I thought I did. After going through about 100 emails on my return, I realized that the out-of-office reply didn't actually generate. So for a whole week, people thought I was ignoring their emails. Yikes. Now I suddenly felt like the worship pastor must have felt. (laughs) Help. I need mercy. Friends, I hope you know that it's not the intention of this podcast to complain about my brothers and sisters in Christ. Far from it. I recognize technology has complicated the way and the speed in which we communicate, leaving us expecting an instant response. I understand we receive tons of emails, a lot of them solicitations, and we struggle to respond. And I understand sometimes we think we set the out-of-office tool, but didn't. But when it comes to email, it does seem like our culture has somewhat agreed that it's socially accessible to delay our response or worse yet, ignore them. I wonder what happened to common courtesy. Isn't common courtesy kindness? And isn't kindness a fruit of the spirit? Perhaps a 20th century physicist named Albert Einstein said it best when he said, It has become appallingly obvious that our technology has exceeded our humanity. So, closing, here's a story. I want to share with you from an article, Five Ways Email Can Make or Break Your Ministry, written by Danielle Ripley Burgess. She said, I'd been on a group email with Pastor Dave and several others who were helping start up a new small group at my house. In an effort to communicate all the details involved for our new group, we began to email one another to confirm logistics and ask questions. In the midst of our email chain, a training document was referenced, something the church had previously put together for new leaders like my husband and I. It was a document we hadn't seen before or knew to ask about. I responded to our group. The coaching tool sounds neat. How do we go about accessing that? No one responded. So I emailed Pastor Dave. In less than an hour, he emailed to respond to my question and included an attachment that I reviewed later that night. Rarely in my experience as a working professional had communicating via email with a ministry leader followed such a fast pace and quick turnaround. The exchange was similar to something I expect from people at work, but not from church. I wasn't only impressed but a little pleasantly surprised. And as I processed why his email stood out so much in the middle of a crowded inbox, I realized his quick communication with me did more than empower me as a leader. It also made me feel loved, seen, and heard by my church during the workday. Friends, aren't we talking about feeling validated and affirmed? It's a real need. And we don't feel either of those when someone doesn't respond to our emails. I know we can take it too far. Recently, I heard a sermon where the preacher practically chastised those in the congregation. 
He was elaborating on how we take things personally when people at church don't respond to our emails. I get it. We don't want to cause discord. And I agree there are times when we shouldn't get defensive. We need to give other people the benefit of the doubt and have a forgiving spirit. But I would also argue, what does it communicate to the other person if we ignore them? fellow believers, can we adjust to the times? From one sister to another, from one brother to another, please, please answer your emails or get a staff for will. I beg you, please don't leave people guessing or hanging about who you are or what you think of them. It's unnecessary mental energy that could be avoided. You see, because behind each email is a person a person whom God may be calling you to minister to, a person who God loves with their own lives and activities that challenge their time too. Maybe they are reaching out to you because they are for you, not against you. Perhaps they want to contribute, collaborate, or have some kind of underlying spiritual need that you need to address. After all, didn't they take the time out of their day to connect with you? Doesn't that mean something? And doesn't that something mean something to God? Titus 3.2 reminds us to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. Friends, evil is a really strong word. Avoiding these arguments, it's difficult. And perfection, well, that's impossible. I get it. I get it. I know we all dropped emails, but can we get our percentage up? Remember, behind every Zoom call, text, or email is a person. Perhaps we can follow God's example and recognize that just another person's presence is at the end of that piece of technology. If for some reason this doesn't happen to you and you do feel ignored, dig deeper and see what God is trying to say to you. Maybe you don't need to play bass. Maybe God has something else in mind for you. Maybe he just wants you to know that he sees you. He notices you. Which reminds me of one of the most challenging lines I've ever heard from a 10th Avenue North song. Too many leaders, he asks for followers. So in our quest to show courtesy, or in our quest to show mercy, May we all be followers. Hey, listeners out there, we all need to be noticed. Even the podcast, The Noticed, needs to be noticed. So I'd appreciate it if you could take a minute to write a review on iTunes. Be sure to subscribe or even send me a note. I'd love to hear how The Notice is helping you notice God. So next time on The Noticed... Do you know anyone who seems to take messy too far? Perhaps they experience distress when trying to even let go of their possessions. So tune in as we talk with celebrated author Cynthia Rupti. We discuss her new book, Afraid of the Light, a beautifully written story which focuses on the heartbreaking issues that hoarders face. We learn how God takes notice of us in the mess and how we can live a life hemmed in hope. So until next time, take notice.
kindness, Lord.